Hey, Thinking Out Loud listeners. In this episode, we're going to broach the topic of denominations. And just a quick warning, it's in some ways a difficult conversation, and we're just getting started. So this is by no means the last episode on denominations, and we're probably going to hear from you after this episode, which we welcome. So just hang in there. Remember, our hope and our prayer with each of these episodes is to get you thinking, get the wheels turning, and to, we hope, start some good conversations between you and trusted people. So thanks for hanging in. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. Cameron, question for you. Um, I'm trying to think if I've talked to anybody in the last two years who's like, you know what, I'm really content with my denomination, and my denomination represents me and what I believe well. Is that just me? Or because and part of this is like we did the thing about like don't like your church, maybe stay. And then some of you listeners wrote in like, yeah, but what about your denomination? <laughs> what if you're cool with your, you know, slugging it out with your local church and you know the people you actually do life with? But then to what degree do we need to be properly aligned and affiliated with our larger national or global organizations? What are you hearing that mirrors that or do I just live in a bubble? You don't live in a bubble, even though you are pretty secluded uh, out there yeah. in West Virginia. No, I'm hearing the same thing. And I, I think the way I put it to you the other day when we broached this topic was, well, the, ecclesi- the, ecclesiastical, the ecclesiastical grass is always green on the other side, it seems. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there have been plenty of times for me, for instance, in recent years where I've thought, okay, well what if I just go ahead and, you know, move into, what if I, what if I became Catholic? Yeah. You know, what if I, what if I just went for it? And then, so a couple of thoughts now, before everybody's heart stops there for a second, <laughs> there are a number of reasons why I haven't and I won't. So there are, there are certain core Catholics. Well, don't pick on just Catholics there. There's a whole host doctrines. of things. There are a number of, yeah, there are a number of factors that, that hold me back there too. But then, also, the real is here's why I bring that up. Potentially distracting example. The the then the uneasy thought rears its head. Well, Catholicism itself is also in a state of serious disarray. If you talk to people who are devout Catholics, you'll get a lot of of the same kind of grumbling that you hear from mm-hmm. from others as well. Because there's, you know, just think about the reception of the current Pope. But I know also that that same restlessness that's in my heart right now would also be present in that in that setting as well. So, just a, just an example, you know. I think a lot of I mean, it's a time now where a lot of people are drawn to that kind of. I don't want to use the word, you know. You could say there are various phrases: swim the Tiber. But I think it's just coming to grips with the fact that now, not that there aren't good reason sometimes to to leave a church, for instance. And we could talk about that at some point well, here see, too. I, we should, I, I mean, there I'm are curious. legitimate reasons to leave yeah, or denomination. I'm, I'm curious here though, because I think, okay, so there is, there for individuals, I think individuals tend toward um, like a higher structured church. So whether that's for some people, you know, Anglicanism would be far more structured for, you know, Orthodox or Catholic, you know, those are all there, always have been. Um, kind of standard features of where people who are feeling a little um, 
unsteady with the wishy-washiness of everything else, that's attractive. I think if you were talking entire congregations, though, most collective thinking on this is, why don't we just be independent? So there, because that's a whole nother move too, of rather than individuals, you know, going off one at a time to some other organization or structure, you have entire churches that say, yeah, we're done with this. We're going to go do our own thing, which has some attraction to it and also some real dangers to it as well. So yeah, there's that. You either go for something that has a long history and a lot of stability or you go totally solo. Yeah. And let me try a quote out on you, Nathan, real quickly. This is, this is from, I've been, I've been quoting him a good deal lately. This is from Craig Gay, once again. Mm -hmm. And this comes from his book, The Way of the Modern World. And it's worth noting here, just because of the specifics of this quotation, that Craig Gay is himself a Protestant. And Nathan and I are both Protestants. So he says this. He says, As Protestant theology was, in many important respects, the midwife of modernity, and as a number of Protestant ideas are already built into modern institutions, Those of us who are Protestants will probably need to be prepared, as we should be in any case, to reform our own theological traditions from within. There there is a whole lot in that quote. And he Mm -hmm. spends, he, now also, it's not fair for me to just rip that out of context. Craig's book spends a good deal of time building a powerful case for how Protestantism had had a major hand in the modern world that we see for better or for worse. Yep. And he wants to reckon with that. And he, he takes his insights from people like Charles Taylor, Alistair McIntyre, and Peter Berger, and many sociologists who put their best minds together and did a lot of work in this area. So all that to say, I think he's, I think he's right about that, by the way, about Protestantism being the midwife of modernity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... It's what it's the end of the quote that's really important, that we need to be prepared, and we should be prepared anyway, he says, to reform our institutions from within. And that's institutions. So the idea of just, in, in a sense, so somebody like Craig M. Gay and many of these others, would, would, they, would, they would hear the, the, the temptation to go independent, and they would greet it a little bit with an ironic smile because that's a completely modern response. Let's get even more individualistic. Let's let's make this more, let's tailor this to our own needs and wants and wishes so that we're not tethered to this shop-worn institution that's just holding us back. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me, let me, all right. Let me throw a couple things out there. One, we'll set aside the question of whether or not Anabaptists or Protestant. Long conversation. Sure. There. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. We'll put but, that to the side. So, right so the Radical Reformation did try to take some of the reformed the, of that Reformation of modernity and maintain some of the community elements of it. However, I guess my question, as I'm listening to that, so I can say yes, midwife of modernity, totally see that. the The tension that I think we're seeing right now is that you did have fairly stable institutions and say institutional churches here that have so much. The the question isn't whether or not institutions should be reformed. The question is, can they be reformed from within? And at a certain point, you get a set of ideas within them that makes it impossible for actual change to happen inside. So I was giving a speech about this recently where I said, you know, there's some problems that are like having a flat tire on your car. You can't fix a flat tire from within inside your vehicle. 
you have to get out of the vehicle in order to fix it. Um, so sometimes you have to step out of something that you love in order to repair it, to continue with it. There's, there's that. So there's that imagery going on. And then I think you have a sense Cameron that, um, the, the tension that I think, or the uneasiness that people think or, or, or experiencing right now is you might say, I have a very um, clear sense of what it means to be a Presbyterian, but now the, so there's like, there, there's this concept of what you think of, of what a Presbyterian is based off of your reading, based off of your experience, based off of the local church that you worship at. And then what happens is, is that your perception of the national or, um, global denominational version of that starts to deviate from your view of what that actually means. And so up until this point in history, for most people, they could say, I'm Presbyterian. And that meant something that was transferable across all kinds of conversations, across state lines, basically, you could say that that meant something. Now you could have people and you see, I, I think you gave the good example of like in the Catholic church who said, you know, well, I'm Catholic, but I don't like this, you know, I don't appreciate this Pope. That, that's new, right? Where, mm -hmm. I mean, and, well, right. not new. There have always been issues there. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, whenever the, the banner that you're under, you feel like you're a more faithful representation of the core values historically of that banner than what that banner actually means now. So right. the thing that you thought was one thing, your local church and your global church identity, now are starting to shift into two different categories. So I'm living through that in the time where yeah. I'm part of the Church of the Brethren. So there's the Church of the Brethren Inc. as the as the organization. And then there's like the Church of the Brethren, what everybody else is kind of doing. And it's rather traumatic when people start to see those go separate directions. And you have to choose like, where does my allegiance lie in this? And am I properly sorting out? Is there actual a disparity there? And is there the hope of restructuring from within? Or do I really need to do something different? So you can run that metric through on an individual level, but you can also do that congregationally, I think. So that is that. So I guess my response, that was a long way of saying that my response to Craig M. Gay's quote there is that I absolutely see Protestantism as the midwife of modernity. I'm not sure what the next step is. Like, well, cause I don't know if the institutions can be reformed from within. Well, his quote also assumes that the institution is practicing orthodox theology. So there are reasons. So there are in, there are whole institutions that do depart and deviate from orthodox Christianity, right? Well, the, there's script, that. the you know Christ, the authority of Christ, the creeds, Scripture, all of that. When that happens, you're you're in a different category. So there are reasons to leave. You know, it's it's just important to state up front, obviously. There are reasons to leave churches. There are legitimate theological reasons to leave institutions and denominations also. But assuming that the he's so his his assumption is that you're part of a church that holds to the traditions, the major traditions of the faith, right? The you know, the the Trinity, virgin birth, all of all of those essential matters of matters of doctrine and theology and what really I want to call them confessions. I, I'm, I'm tired of, I sometimes get tired of, well, I just want good theology and all that. That tends to communicate an idea that you just have to know and think the right things. But the Christian life is, is a matter of worship and devotion and, and being and doing, not just knowing. So I want to, I want to get that clear, but let's say you're part of a denomination that by and large emphasizes that 
but you're still seeing some major capitulation to the modern world. And it's increasingly difficult to distinguish a Christian way of life from just a normal way of modern life. Ooh, That's what yeah. that, that kind of insidious yeah, that that what we call practical atheism. That what that's kind of what he has in mind. And there I think you do have the possibility of reform from within, so to speak. But can you have is it not all right, here's one. So can you have a post-Christian institution in the sense that you have something that does start off as a church, but so in my mind, like when conventional morality outside the church usurps the authority of scripture within it, then the salt has lost its saltiness. And the thing that you're leaving isn't actually a church. Is that too bold right. to say, or, or I, like, absolutely. can that happen? Of course, you can point to instances of it happening. Yes, there there are many church traditions that that well, <laughs> calling them church is really a stretch. So, would you call they, they Universalist Unitarians a church? Right. So, they, I mean, so yes, we can. You can point to those those examples. There's also a sense in which, and let's just. This is Nathan and I are very careful about the way we when, when we level any kind of criticism the church's way because we, we like are the church part of the church we like, we like the church churches. we know yeah. who the boss of the church is but there's a very real sense in we which are products Nathan, of the churches church. we are products of the church we are servants of the church but if more churches were doing what they ought to be doing we would be out of a job right and it would be a yes. good thing when we succeed you won't hear from us any longer. And, and, and may that day come quickly. <laughs> but so you see, you see that we find ourselves in, in a strange place here in North America where when there are, there are many churches, again, with, with the best of intentions, but there seems to be, I think a lot of Christians find themselves waylaid in places where no real substantial change is on display in anybody's life. Ooh. And on on a just a common sense and instinctive level most people in the pews recognize there's something very wrong with that the christian way of life is supposed to be just that a way of life and there's supposed to be real transformation on display but by and large many of us go to our churches and everything just basically remains the same people really don't change and people live and do as they please and marriages begin and marriages end more like contracts than covenants, and on and on we could go, and it just there's no actual there's no actual difference. And then you can hear people talk about well, grace, and we we don't want to be legalists and all that. But everybody knows, no, we're supposed to be changing. We're supposed to be Christ-like. Where is that? Why is that not emphasized? Why is obedience to Jesus not the major focus? The major why isn't the mission statement just the Great Commission? Well, but you know, what Jesus that's, said, that's, that's, "Come that's think about me." Right? Yes. <laughs> Come think about me. <laughs> and I just thought of that. We're not trying to. Tri- it's pretty funny. We're not trying to trivialize here, but I think that 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 sense of restlessness comes from a widespread recognition that there really needs to that that people that there should be change. Things should be happening. Well, in our is, lives and in the lives of others. And it's properly fueled as a lament when you see people who do need real change in their lives not having access to it because of silliness. So I, I think as and the I think culture becomes wonkier and we see right. and we know that change is possible, we'll have less contentment with churches who aren't providing 
the opportunity for change to the people who need it the most. Well, it's funny. There's, there's a sense in which we have to, I have to quote Dallas Willard again here, but he had, he had said that the major issue here for most churches is just one of distraction. There are programs hmm. focused on all sorts of other outreach efforts and all sorts of other, you know, community organizers. I mean, there, there's, there's so much energy and effort poured forth on everything but the basics of becoming like Christ. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you know, this is a, this is a principle that's, that's pretty common in a lot of human life and in modern life. So I'll tell you one place where I see it often, Nathan, I see it in the gym all the time. And there are, <laughs> I mean, there are so many ways to pull an exercise as an illustration of the spiritual disciplines and people do it all the time. And you get into that world and, you know, if you're, whether it's running or whatever it is, you'll, you see the parallels immediately, but in the world of, in the fitness world, many people get excited about getting in shape and they want to, you know, they have a goal, whether it's that, you know, they want to build muscle or they want to lose weight, whatever it is. But everybody, so many people, not everybody, so many people want shortcuts. They Mm -hmm. either want a fad diet or they want some fancy special new exercise that looks really interesting and looks really cool, but that actually is not really very effective. They want to do everything but the basics. The basics would be, no, you need to you need to eat clean, you need to exercise consistently, and you should just do the good old fashioned hard compound movements. <laughs> none of these fancy, you know, exercises, and none of all this silly equipment, all these silly you know products that are supposed to enhance. And the best trainers always tell you that. The same thing is true in the church. I find so often the world of ministry. You have a lot of people who are offer a lot of really fancy techniques and methodologies, and they're trying to sell you a book about it, and they have everything ready, and here are your seven steps that you need to go through, seven steps for church growth, all this stuff, everything but the basics of, you know what, you know what Elizabeth Elliot used to say? This was the wife of, of Jim. Jim Elliot. Yep. So Elizabeth Elliot, students would often come to her and say, I'm just really having a hard time discerning my calling. And, you know, you you go through those early years as a student, if you're a Christian, especially if you're at a Bible college and everything's about discerning your calling and, you know, where you're going to be a leader and all of this stuff. And she would always just say, well, have you started by just obeying Jesus? And they would always just sort of look at her. You know, you don't need to put your life on hold until you find, quote, find your calling. The way to start mm-hmm. is just start by keeping Christ's commands, and then the rest starts to fall into place. There's a, people are always so disappointed when you say that. <laughs> they don't want to hear that. There, there are, um, there's, here's a funny idea that comes from one of my brothers who was teaching one time, and he said, there are so many things that the New Testament, that Jesus commands of us to do that don't require a calling. Like, you got a calling from Christ to do this. In fact, there are things that you might have to say, I have a calling not to do this. So care for right. the, you know, care for the elderly and the widows and the orphans. Okay. That's everybody. So start yep. there, you know, like us. there's stuff like that. That's just so brutally clear that you would have to have a special word from the Lord to not focus on that. Uh, so that's kind of a funny way to like switch calling around. Um, of saying, do oh, yeah. we have enough? Well, to let me get put started? that another way, Nathan. That meddles with our therapeutic muscles. <laughs> Nowhere in Scripture does it say, "Well, you, you know, you're not." I can see that you're more of an introvert, so 
you don't need to worry too much about being selfless here and, and pouring into these people because, you know, your temperament just won't, you know, won't permit it. And you need to practice some self-care. Oh, see, there's two <laughs> you know? introverts on a podcast that's meddling now. But yeah. Well, it can is I, meddling. This is meddling for <laughs> both of us. Yeah, yeah, it's good. The can we can I loop this back around now back to the denominational thing because I want to make a case for denominations, um, which is because it, it often does come up as a critique of Christianity of saying, yeah, but look at all these different denominations that are out there. Um, I think two things at the same time. One is that denominations are fundamentally styles of biblical interpretation. So think about that. Denominations are fundamentally styles of biblical interpretation. And as you are called by Christ and you kind of find a, a groove of how you're wanting to live out your faith, you'll necessarily want to join with others who are doing that in the same or similar way. And oftentimes the way that you come to Christ puts you like you come to Christ through a community who's worshiping in a particular way and, and serving and reading scripture in a particular way. And then denominations are formed out of that. And I think that's beautiful. Uh, I think diversity is good. I am appreciative of the things that I learned from people all across the spectrum who um, don't share my denominational affiliation. And I think that uniformity among the fishermen is only necessary if there's uniformity among the fish. And so when mm -hmm. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, there are just groups of people who are better at reaching other groups of people than other groups of people. Uh, and so if there's a part of the country where the Baptists are doing better than the Methodists or the Mennonites or the Presbyterians, you know, it's, uh, so I, I am part of a denomination, but we're also very quick to recommend other local churches to people who are trying to, you know, figure out where to fit in. So there's a sense in which, um, there are de deep denominational distinctives. There's a reason I am what I am. On the other hand, I hold that fairly open handedly for, what I think God can do with other uh, groups of people who believe the core confessions that you and I hold. Uh, and I mean, so this podcast is a good example, right? You and I disagree probably on some big things from mm -hmm. well, baptism oh, would be infant you know, baptism, infant baptism. Yeah, that would be one. Um, maybe a whole nother podcast on things we disagree on, but by and large for many years now, we've worked together, I think fairly productively. Um, and respectfully and appreciatively. I, I also think that there's there's room for, and I think part of what I hope this podcast exemplifies is that when I dis when when you disagree with me, I don't dismiss that, but I need to think through it. Um, and I might disagree with you in the end of it, but I think friendship allows you to disagree constructively, um, because you know the other person isn't just saying something flippantly. But but therein lies the denomination. So therein lies the congregational tension with the denomination. If you think the structure of that conversation and that relationship has broken down to the point that you can no longer have that respectful or clear communication in order to even discuss an issue, then at that point, reform from within is probably over. Yes. No, I would agree with that. I mean, and I, like you, Nathan, I think it's a real word of wisdom that we look at denominations as in, as important. I think you're right. These are matters of, fundamentally matters of how one interprets God's word. So it is important, but there is also an inevitably provisional element in in all of this because we are human beings and we're fallible and this world is not our home. and we as Christians across the globe 
all need one another. And if you're in the world of missions, you see this, you see this vividly because you'll spend, I mean, my dad will tell you wonderful stories of spending time with Catholics in Germany and then, you know, Lutherans in Belgium of all places. And then, you know, hospitality across the globe with so many different brothers and sisters in Christ, all coming from different places, working together for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. I think you have a powerful picture of this, by the way, at Pentecost, Hmm. when you have this explosion of languages. Everybody's hearing everybody in their own native language. It's a picture of, it's a beautiful picture, I think, in scripture of unity and diversity coming together. Mm-hmm. So there's there's there are diverse expression there are diverse languages there are many different languages that's a picture of of the world but there's a unity when it comes to the object of our worship yeah and cool because a common identity is a prerequisite for actual unity correct yes so if you're worshiping so, the same thing you you don't have to try to be unified you are well and. I remember at the end of his life, Willard was asked, and this really was the, I mean, he was at this point visibly, visibly sick with cancer and quite greatly diminished in his strength. But somebody had asked him a question about the numerous denominations and division within Christianity. Mm-hmm. And he did say, he said something that I think most of us, when we hear this, know it's true. And he just said, to the extent that we focus on Jesus and following him and becoming like him, most of the superficial differences begin to fall away. And it really is true. I mean, in practice, that's true. I mean, and you find that also, might I say, Nathan, when you're in more of a post-Christian setting. So when we were in Europe, for instance, there there aren't there were not many, and there are not many people who follow Jesus in Western Europe. We were in we happened to be in Austria, but dad did a lot of work also in, in Germany and Belgium and just around in Poland. Mm-hmm. But we banded together with fellow believers, many of them from diverse backgrounds and part of different denominations, different traditions. And it was wonderful work. And to the extent that we were aiming to glorify Jesus, we really did have all necessary things in common. I think there's a, could, is it too simplistic to say? So you think of like uh, parachurch campus ministries and, and all that kind of uh, missional stuff that there's a real, um, a real harmony and diversity there when you're when you're choosing who to work with, um, as you've just outlined. Is that different than from though, but who you choose to have form you? So I I would say who who I want to grow and study with is different maybe than who I would want to work with. So I'm I think so. Is that yes. a because I want to respect the actual differences that are actually really there that are difficult. Um, and the and the convictions and things that we hold dear, because I want to be formed and shaped in a Absolutely. certain way. But when it, when the rubber hits the road, back to back we face the world. You know that that kind of thing. Yes, I think when it comes to how you're being formed and taught, you want to exercise two things: vigilance, but also humility. And the humility, this is a time when. I'm going I'm just going to I'm going to use a word that will seem maybe somewhat unfair at times but I think it's a helpful one here. This is a this is a time when many of us are hearing the siren call of fundamentalism. And I mean that across the board. I don't just mean people who are explicitly religious. 
Fundamentalism. Mm. This is a Cameron definition, by the way. So this is take it with a grain of salt. Just chew this, you know, chew this over. See what you think about it. This is based on my reading of of people like George Marsden, who his book Fundamentalism in American Culture I think is quite helpful. But fundamentalism is a principled resistance to any type, any kind of ambiguity, is the way I would define it. That's a very okay. broad definition of fundamentalism. And so, especially when you have, when you're living through tumultuous times, which we are, and times where you're facing serious cultural meltdown, we are, we're, we are in such a time, the temptation is you want clear, clear answers. You want, you want black and white, you want a clear set of protocol, and you really, ambiguity begins to become very frightening because it seems to point to a sort of chaotic instability. But we need to hold on to humility in these times. I'm not saying we need to be, you know, have no backbone. I'm not saying that we need to be wishy-washy. I'm not saying we need to compromise. I'm saying we need to recognize that we're still human beings and we don't know everything, nor does our denomination. We are doing the best we can with our God-given abilities and in, under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to honor our Lord and his word. Mistakes will be made. That's just to err is human. And that that's not a cry of despair. That's just a call for some epistemic humility in the midst. So I'm trying to call against the notion of uh, my denomination has it all right in this kind of triumphalistic spirit. Because Nathan, I do see some of that still. So mm -hmm. there are some people who are really happy with their denomination in the sense that they think their denomination is the be all end all. They only read stuff from people in their denomination. They only go to certain websites. They only read certain authors. And it's a, it's a, it makes them feel safer. It's, it's because those are the vetted, safe, and author, authoritative voices. I mean, it's a very human tick. I'm cautioning against that a little bit because it will close you off to other people who can also offer help. Does it? What what would you Nathan say is very, the Nathan is Nathan is squinting at me right now <laughs> well, for the well, you I'm can't just thinking, see him. Okay, let's um let's go extreme measure. Let's go Amish. And sure. say you worship in not English while living in the US. So there there's there's a there's a fundamentalism of sorts. My my question is is like when was the last time an Amish missionary knocked on your door? That hasn't happened. So there, there, there's a way in yeah. which the, the clarity that you seek will draw boundaries in places that aren't that don't lend itself to invitation. And that's that's always right. been, I think, the evangelical movement as it appears within any denomination of saying, how do we um, be clear Have on who we hands. are and and open the door for anybody who wants yep. to join us without us just joining them? <laughs> basically that was the historic beauty of the movement of evangelicalism not as a political force but as an actual religious movement that was aiming to be faithful to all of to the core doctrine of scripture and but also to keep open hands and be missional and invitational all right let me let me try this on you then so as we try to get as close to practical as we can um if you're evaluating your church and your denomination and, you, and you're asking the question, is this um, a good spot for me to be? Now, there's a whole lot of like questions about what is good and in, in the individual in that. But by and large, let's say that's, it's, it's a, a genuinely asked question before the Lord. Is this a good place for me to grow in Christ-likeness? Um, 
The answer to that is not based off of how comfortable it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the wrestles that you have within may be exactly what you need in order to grow in Christ-likeness. There's that. So I think being comfortable is not an indicator of whether or not your church is good for you or your denomination is good for you. However, if you say, this is the direction that God is growing me, and I don't think the leadership is here to move me in that direction, and that 10 years from now, um, I would, or even now, I would feel other pe- comfortable inviting other people to come and grow within the structure with me, then you need to do some serious reckoning about um, whether it's reform from within or if you have to get out of the vehicle to change your flat tire. That's the, uh, that's the question there. So I'm trying... I, I'm I'm fumbling around here and maybe you can clarify for me where that distinguishing line of saying, you know, my pleasure is not the ultimate goal of my faith. My comfort is not the ultimate goal of my church. Um, 100% clarity on all theological issues is probably not accurate. <laughs> yes, but on the other hand, there are things there where how do we draw that line of saying this this system does not grow people into the type of creature that God wants me to be? Therefore, I need to do something else. Can those, can those things be, be separated out? Uh, they can, but it has to be done on okay. It's a probably a case by case basis, depending on where the person is, and it and it's not done overnight, obviously, and it's done through lots of I think prayer and seeking of wisdom from other experienced believers who are further down the road than you are. Mm-hmm. I think. Part of what I would like to say, if there's one, if there's one failsafe principle there, it's it's to not take such a decision lightly. We the temptation for many of us is just to leave. It's so easy to do. Just find another church that does fit my. So are you saying make your decisions based off of your resolves, not off of your reactions? Right. I think that's a that's a much more felicitous way to to phrase it. Hmm. Well, I'll have to work on that then. More could there 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 are. There's going to be a lot more that can be said on this subject, and I have a feeling that this is an episode that will generate some mail for us as well. So, just <laughs> and we'd like just to read a it. Brief, yes, and just a brief note: we will we'll come we'll come back to this. Much more can be said, and this is definitely an episode where Nathan and I are very much thinking out loud as we kind of mm-hmm. fumble our way through this really important subject. That yeah, I we're think kind of is waiting in the creek here a little more bit. Important splashing around we are but this but this but this yeah this this question will only get more important i think in the oncoming years so we do appreciate you it feels to me like there's a log jam here that something will break loose somewhere and the byproduct will be really good yes i i think i think we're just in this fidgety cultural it's a time time of refining yeah yeah say more about that what do you mean by that yeah, no, I think this is I think we've we've used that phrase before on the podcast. I think you did in the last one, but it it's a time of refining in the sense the way I put it was a lot of people have to come to grips with whether they are actually Christians or not. In the sense that do I actually believe Jesus is Lord? So when cultural Christianity dies out, many people find themselves in the uncomfortable position of realizing that they had actually put their faith in someone or something else. And that's okay. It's a good wake-up call. It's a needed wake-up call. It can be very disorienting. It can be very frightening. Well, hang on a second. Because for many people, 
their denominational affiliation has been that other thing. Sure. Yeah. So the import, I mean, and here's where we need to go to some of Jesus's very clear words where he says, anybody who does not hate his mother or father, brother or sister, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, I mean, he just doesn't leave anybody out, does he? As he's speaking to these Middle Easterners for whom family was so vitally important to show just how, how radical the nature of our loyalty to Christ is. We need to reckon with those passages. We tend to think, oh, that's just, you know, that's really hard for people in the Middle East. Nah. Nope. 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 That's going to, that's, that's for all of us. And the line the, you've heard it said, but I say to you means that if there's a traditional idea that you're hanging on to that is contrary to what Christ now asks of us, right. Wrestle with that so, one too. Sam Albury has a helpful way of putting, putting this. He, when, because people often an area for like sexual orientation, for instance, is considered, you know, it's, it's a major topic right now in our culture, given our focus on identity. So people often say, goodness, if one's, you know, orientation is toward this kind of sexual sexuality. It's just so incredibly hard. That must be so difficult. And Sam Albury is fond of pointing out, well, it is, but if Christianity costs you absolutely nothing, you've got a problem. Yeah. Because Christ, Christ demands self-sacrifice of every single one of us, not just people who struggle with this particular item that happens to be a hot topic in our culture right now, not just people who happen to come from a Muslim background or live in the Middle East. No, all of us. All of us. And when cultural Christianity dies, that's when this fact becomes unavoidable and it gets it gets things get interesting. <laughs> so your church and your denomination should be an affiliation that helps you do hard things where you help other people do hard things and you all do the hard things of Christ together. That's my summary of everything I've been trying to say here in the last 15 minutes. Well, and much more can and 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 will be said. And we again appreciate you sticking with us. We've meandered a little bit through throughout this episode, but I think it's an important one and we do hope it's been helpful to you. This is something to wrestle through prayerfully and carefully. And I did not mean to rhyme that, but look at that. Should, that should stick in your head now. But in case you missed it somewhere in all of this swirling episode, you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.